Well, good morning, everyone. Can we just say thanks to Jesus? We believe that God is in this place. Whether you are watching us here live in Goshen at Drive-In Church, online, Mishawaka, or our St. Pete campus, we are so glad that you are taking time out of your day so that you can be with us and connecting with God. My name is Ryan. I'm the worship pastor at Crossroads, and I normally lead worship at this campus in Goshen. Uh, This is a different space for me to be in. I normally have a microphone in front of me. I have a guitar tethered to my hands, so good luck, guys. Uh, This is going to be great. Um, But yes, it is so good to be here with you guys. I believe that God is going to show up in a huge way today. So for those of you that don't know me, some of you people at uh, other campuses, I'm normally, like I said, leading worship here. I thought I'd start off today with story time with Ryan. Are you guys good with story time with Ryan? We're going to have some fun. Uh, I am the youngest of two children. I have a sister who is four years older than me. And I have to believe that the day that I was born, it was the best day of my parents' life. Because honestly, they said, hey, your sister's pretty good, but we can do better. Uh, We can do better. And then they had me, and why mess with perfection? Why have another kid? Um, And for, for all of you youngest siblings, that's the only logical explanation that you're the youngest. You were the perfect child. There is no messing with perfection. Um, So, yes, like I said, I am the youngest of two kids. I am originally from eastern Pennsylvania near Philadelphia, and I am very lucky to have a family that loves me, that loves Jesus, and that continually pushed me uh, to chase after my dreams. Um, Specifically, I had a family that was way into music. Every single thing we did was music. My uh, mom was our worship leader at our church. My dad played drums at our church. My grandmother played the organ and played the piano. Um, It was just what we did. Anytime that the doors were open at the church, that's where I was at. There's pictures of me with spoons and pots and pans around from being like three years old on my grandmother's floor playing makeshift drums. There's actually a recording, an audio recording of three-year-old Ryan just bashing and flailing on my dad's drums at church. And you just hear me in the background, I want to drum more. Can I please drum more? Um, But that's that's just what we did. It was so much a part of my life. Like, guys, I can't even believe that I'm about to admit this to you. It was so much a part of my life that I was actually a part of something called the Central Pennsylvania Gospel Band, and I have a picture to prove it. Uh, This is real life. This is what I did uh, when I was growing up. We would be a part of this group that would go to churches, that would go do revivals, that would play at churches, Um, and my entire family is actually in that picture. Uh, My dad's in the back, my grandfather's right in front of him, my grandmother, my mom, and um, right behind the bass drum, not looking at the camera like a nerd, that's my sister. Um, And that's the moment that my parents realized they needed to have another kid. She was just okay. We could have a better one. Um, So yeah, that's what we did. My family did things like that all the time. We played music all the time. And frankly, I will, guys, I will fight anyone about this. Margaret Kramer, my grandmother, best musician in my family. Like, she plays the organ at our church, and when I watch people play the organ, you know, the one hand on the top, the one hand on the bottom, they've got all these levers, they're using their foot to do the bass notes. Like, I play drums, and people are like, how can you do four things at the same time? I am in awe watching someone play the organ, and she plays, she plays the accordion, guys. Like, anyone who plays the accordion has to be the best musician in your family, right? So when I was in fourth grade, 
I started taking saxophone lessons. I did that for about six years. I was in band when I was in school. I was in choir when I was in school. And uh, when I was in middle school, I, I, I was bashing my sister, and I feel really bad about this. But, I mean, if you want to know what a nerd looks like, look at, the ha- look at the hot 90s mess that I was when I was in middle school. I wore a sweater every day. I wore khakis every day. I'm pretty sure I had that puka shell necklace. Flipped up my hair, had bleach blonde tips. Like, it was... It was not a sight to behold. Uh, but when I was in middle school, my choir would go around. We would do assemblies at school. And guys, you can, you can look this up because on the internet, there's nothing. Everything is correct on the internet, right? There was a, there was a, uh, a school that we did an assembly at called the Windcroft Academy. And a famous attender of the Windcroft Academy was one Taylor Swift. And I am, I am almost certain, at least this is my story, I'm certain that she was in the assembly and she saw this bleach blonde tipped kid singing and said, that's what I want to be when I grow up. <laughs> I, I am Taylor Swift's muse, in case you guys, you guys were wondering. Uh, but that's what I did. I was in choir. I had a lot of fun doing that. When I was uh, a freshman in high school, I really wanted to learn how to play drums. I wanted to be a punk rock drummer. I, want, I loved Blink-182. I wanted to play like Travis Barker. Um, and if you ever had a question about the sainthood of Patton Howard Stroop, it was when they decided to put a drum set in my tiny room and just let their ears bleed for me playing drums for hours on end. Like, I would go out to the bus stop with my friends there, and like six or seven houses down, they would just be like, hey, did you have fun? practicing drums last night. Yeah, my parents were cursing you underneath their breath. It was awful. Cool. Thanks. Um, But yes, that's what I did. I slapped in a Creed CD back when there were CDs, and I learned how to play drums. Uh, That's when I started playing in bands, writing music, being in basement bands. There was a time when I was in high school that I was a part of my parents' worship team, that I was uh, part of my girlfriend's worship team, and a part of my own church's worship team all at the same time. Uh, I went to college, I was leading worship for our chapel bands, I was playing in other bands and writing music, and I was a part of a crew that would go around during the summers leading worship at camps and at churches. Uh, And it's crazy for me to think at 33 years old that I've been playing music for 24 years of my life. Like, that's just, that's nuts to me. Music is the place that I feel comfortable. And the reason that I know that I feel comfortable playing music is because I know how uncomfortable I feel in other circumstances. Like home projects at my house, Liz does them. Don't trust me with any power tool. I supervise. The shelf, the shelf could go, that doesn't very go, that doesn't go very well in my house. Um, but if I can't figure something out, I call Ralph Tubbs, our facilities director at Crossroads. And Ralph came over one time and changed out a sump pump at our house. And my job was to hold the towel to wipe off his arms from the icky brown water. That's... <laughs> I know exactly where I feel uncomfortable. And I'm sure for all of you, you can think about that place or that skill or that thing that you spent so much time with that whenever something seems chaotic, if you get back into that spot, it's like everything is right. You're at home. There was a study done at the Berlin Elite Academy of Music by Anders Ericsson. And what he did was he took violinists and he split them up into three groups. They were world-class soloist violinists, good violinists, and average violinists. And they assumed that at eight years old, they were at pretty equal footing with their skill level. 
And as they went through and they were collecting data, they realized that the average violinist practiced about 4,000 hours in their life. The good violinist was about 8,000 hours, and the world-class violinists were at about 10,000 hours. Persistence matters. You've got to work hard at things. So, I'm a pessimist, right? The first thing that I think of is, why did the average and the good violinists stop? If it's all about working hard, what happened in their life that stopped them from reaching their potential? If it's not based on skill and it's all based on the amount of time that you put into it, what made them stop? Was there something going on in their life? Was there something going on with their family? Did uh, they not have the ability to take lessons anymore? Did they enjoy just sitting on the couch and watching TV rather than pulling their violin out? Because neurologists say that regardless of what skill it is, 10,000 hours is the magic bullet. Whether you want to be an author, whether you want to be a musician, whether you're a carpenter, whether you're a professional athlete. So why do people stop? You know, I think of my failures. Um, the first guitar I ever got, I was in fifth grade. I didn't learn how to play guitar until I was in 12th grade. I just didn't have the drive. I didn't have the determination. It wasn't something that I was really interested in doing. Um, I did really good on my physical fitness for a while, for about five months, and then I went on vacation. Um, and I think I enjoyed hitting the snooze alarm a little bit more than I liked to get up. And, you know, I think, at least for me, I'm on the perpetual search for the unicorn of a six-pack. I'm not certain that it exists. Um, but I like sleeping more than I like getting up and doing something. And like the successes and the things that you've spent time on that you feel at home with, I'm sure that you can think about dreams or things that you had in your life that for some reason or another, you just stopped. And when we stop, that says something about us, right? Maybe we're just not committed. Maybe we didn't want to try very hard. But the real question that I want to ask you is, if persistence is the magic bullet, why do we stop? But if it's a dream from God, and if it's a prayer that he wants you to persistently go to him with, or a hurt, or a relationship that he continually wants you to bring to him, why do you stop with those? And what does that say about the way that we view God? Because that's a big deal. And I believe that God is a God of what if. Because for me, what if what God says is true? What if I am his dearly and deeply loved child? What if all of the promises that are in scripture or the things that he has done continually in my life or other people's lives, what if that same thing can happen in my life? And why do I stop? And if persistence is the magic bullet and skills that we learn, I have to believe that persistence makes a difference in our prayer lives. There's a great story of persistence in Luke 18 that says, One day, Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. There was a judge in a certain city, he said, who neither feared God nor cared about people. 
A widow of that city came to him repeatedly, saying, Give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. The judge ignored her for a while, but finally he said to himself, I don't fear God or care about people, but this woman is driving me crazy. I'm going to see that she gets justice because she is wearing me out with her constant requests. If you have children, you know what persistence sounds like. It rings in my ears. Dad, 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 can you, dad, what, dad, can we, can we do that? Stop talking. I don't care what you do. Just give me some peace and quiet. And that's the story of how I showed up to a pickup basketball game with my fingernails painted. Um, <laughs> because I was just done with all of the incessant asking. It did not matter what they were asking me to do. I just wanted them to give me some peace and quiet. And I don't know what's going on in this widow's life. I don't know if there was someone in her family that got hurt and she was trying to help bring justice. I don't know if there was a debt that was given to her that was wrongly given to her. But this was a moment for her that desperate times called for desperate measures. That she was going to go, risking potential jail time, risking something that was culturally inappropriate to go to the judge and constantly knock on his door. And it didn't matter to her what the outcome was as long as her request was answered. And that tells me that you need to work like it depends on you, but you need to pray like it depends on God. And for some of us, working like it depends on you isn't a big deal. For some of you, praying like it depends on God isn't a big deal. Specifically for me, working like it depends on me is not a really big deal. I'll grind it out. I'll be persistent. I'll work harder. And I remember a time about four or so years ago that we had a really busy season at the church. It was right before Easter, and we were gearing up for doing this huge outreach season with The Price is Right. And we transformed this entire stage into a Price is Right set. We built a ton of the games. We built Plinko. We built Cliffhanger because we were believing that God was going to do incredible things during that Easter season. Right after that, we had some staff turnover, which added a little bit of extra um, responsibilities to some of the people that were on staff. We had our North Campus that was over on Middlebury Street in Elkhart that we were getting ready to sell. We had to do some inventory in that building, inventory on all of the tech stuff. We had to move everything out of there to prepare for the sale and move into a new office building. And then in June, I was entrusted with leading 20 people on a missions trip to Ecuador. And I have never been on an out-of-the-country mission trip before, and now I am responsible for God working and moving in the lives of 20 people that are going to Ecuador. And this was all in the midst of us launching our second campus in Mishawaka. This is about six to eight months of entire craziness. And I remember in October of that year that we were about to do our real first big partnership with the Mishawaka community and the Parks and Rec Department. We were about to do our boo bash in Mishawaka. And I was asked, along with our team and along with our tech crew, to handle the music. I was asked to have the sound system there, 
to be able to manage and run sound for the other bands that were going to be there, and then also to put together a band that was going to do about 10 cover songs. And it was about five days before this event that I was sitting in my bed, and I realized I hadn't asked anyone to be a part of this. And this is just staring at me in my face. And I remember sitting on my bed and having one of the most real and honest prayers that I've ever had with God. I said, God, I don't know how you're going to pull this off. I don't care how bad I look. I don't care who I have to apologize to. I believe that this relationship that we have with Mishawaka and the relationship that we're we're building with this community is something that you want so that we can connect people to God here. So you're going to have to figure this out. And that was one of the most real prayers that I ever said to God as I was laying in bed, as I was feeling this incredible pressure on my chest. So we get to the day of. I was somehow able to scrounge together a band that was able to do that. The day is going smoothly. We have everything set up. Our Crossroads band is about to go on and play some of our songs. And then the heavens open and it pours and it didn't matter in the first place. (laughs) And even though we got rained out in that event, that was still one of the most impactful moments in my relationship with Jesus and in the realness of my prayers. Because God does not care about a magic formula of words that you're going to say. He doesn't care about any of that. What he wants is he wants you. And he wants the real you. And he wants you to come with every single request that you have, every single struggle, every hurt, every habit, every hang-up, every broken relationship, every person that you want to bring to Jesus. He just wants you to be real. And guys, he is big enough to deal with it. And if we're not being honest with him, he already knows. So what are we doing? Let's just be real and be so candid with God about the things that we've got going on in our lives. Because, guys, the same God that breathed the breath into the entire universe and creation, breathed his breath into us, comes and he speaks to us, raised Jesus from the grave, is the same God that wants to breathe life into our dreams and wants to breathe life into every single part of who we are. There's a great story in the Old Testament in 1 Kings, and the Old Testament and the story of God's people, the Israelites, is really our story. It's a story of failure and redemption, constant failure and redemption, running away from God and then God running back after us. And there was a season with the prophet Elijah when God's people were living far from him, and there was a king, Ahab, who was leading the Israelite people into worship of false gods and worship of other idols. And they were worshiping this god, Baal. And Baal was a fertility god. God, He was the god that was all about making sure that you had your crops right, that he was going to bring rain, that everything was going to be good for you. And they were in the midst of a three-year drought. No rain for three years at all. And God comes to Elijah, and Elijah, through the power of God, takes on hundreds of prophets of this false god, Baal, And God shows up in a huge way, and there is this massive victory where God is saying, I am the one and the true God. Right after that, it says, Then Elijah said to Ahab, Go get something to eat and drink, for I hear a mighty rainstorm coming. 
So Ahab went to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Mount Carmel and bowed low to the ground and prayed with his face between his knees. Then he said to his servant, go and look out toward the sea. The servant went and looked, then returned to Elijah and said, I didn't see anything. Seven times Elijah told him to go and look. Finally, the seventh time his servant told him, I saw a little cloud about the size of a man's hand rising from the sea. Then Elijah shouted, hurry to Ahab and tell him, climb into your chariot and go back home. If you don't hurry, the rain will stop you. And soon the sky was black with clouds. A heavy wind brought a terrific rainstorm and Ahab left quickly for Jezreel. Then the Lord gave special strength to Elijah. He tucked his cloak into his belt and ran ahead of Ahab's chariot all the way to the entrance of Jezreel. And this is an incredible victory for Elijah. Elijah on the heels of being victorious over hundreds of prophets of Baal, ending a three-year drought, and then to just add a cherry on top, he runs faster than a dude in a chariot with a horse. Like, God is showing up in a huge way in Elijah's life. What that story doesn't tell you is what happens directly after that. Even after this incredible way that God showed up, Elijah is in a cave, hiding and fearing for his life, because one, one person, the queen, wants to kill him. After he has victory over hundreds of people, and he sees the end of a three-year drought, he's fearing for his life because of one person. I think we like to look at these stories and we like to think that all of these heroes of the Bible have it all together, but that's us, right? God shows up in a huge way in our life and then the next moment we're believing that God is not going to do anything for us. We love underdog stories, right? We love the games where bottom of the ninth, bases loaded, we hit a grand slam and we win the game, or we hit a buzzer beater at the end of the fourth quarter. But guys, that's not the story of our God. It's not like God just hit a buzzer beater three-pointer to defeat sin and death and defeat Satan. Like, God has always been victorious. And we do ourselves a disservice of living into the victory of God by thinking that his victory was ever in doubt. I and mean, that is mind-blowing to me. But in truth, just like Elijah, our emotions betray us. And that's why it's so important for us to do things like this 21-day prayer challenge. Because we have the ability to spend time with God every single day and to write down the things that God is doing in our lives. And to be able to see the way that God works gives us confidence to be able to come to him boldly with the requests that we have. I mean, forget this 21-day prayer challenge. We have a Bible that has over 3,000 promises from God and 66 books full of stories of the way that God has come through in our lives. Our emotions betray us. Now, I know about you, but when I was trying to be good and be physically fit, I did not want to work out the first time after I hadn't worked out in seven years. It was awful. I ached in places that I did not know a person could ache after working out. No one likes working out the first time in 10 years. No one does. It's going to be tough. 
but you have to be persistent and you have to resolve that that's what you're going to do regardless of what happens. And it's the same thing with prayer. Prayer is a habit that needs to be developed. Prayer is a discipline that we need to create in our lives. Because when we resolve when things get difficult in our lives and we still choose to pray even when we don't feel like it, we are acknowledging that God already has the victory over what we're dealing with and our emotions don't affect that. Because like with Elijah, he saw tons of issues, hundreds of prophets, a drought, and God still showed up. And what we see as obstacles, God sees as opportunities. God's just waiting for us to bring the requests that we have to him. And maybe you're like that servant, right, who Elijah asked to go back and forth seven times. And maybe you're the person that would have said, well, nothing happened after two, so I'm going to stop. But what if you went all seven times? What if that seventh time was the moment that God was going to show up? Matthew 7 says, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. You parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? And what's crazy looking at the comparison of that scripture and the story of the widow and the judge is that the judge came through and gave the widow what she was asking for, even though he did not care one bit just to keep her quiet and just to get her off his back. Guys, do you realize how much God loves you? Do you realize how much God is wanting to give you good and perfect gifts? And how much he is just waiting for you to come to him with the stuff that you're dealing with. What if what God says is true? What if that next time that he is asking you to persist and to pray about something is the time that God is going to restore your marriage? What if that next time is the time that God needs you to persist and bring to him this person in prayer so that God can radically change and transform their life? What if that next time that you pray is that moment that God wants to deliver you and give you victory over your hurt, over your habit, over your hang-up? And if that's true, why would we ever stop? Because prayer isn't about us changing our circumstances, right? Prayer is about God changing our hearts. And prayer is about God showing off, right? That's the same God that loves you. That is the same God that died on the cross for you. The God that wants you to persist and wants you to come to him boldly 
with the things that you're dealing with, with the things that you're struggling with, so that he can do things that only he can do. So there's a couple tangible steps, and I want to reinforce this. We're doing this 21-day prayer challenge, and if you're watching us online, if you're watching us uh, live in this service, God doesn't care if you didn't start when everyone else did. God just wants you to spend time with him. So if that's you, and you want to take that step to spend time with God every single day, go to crossroads.online slash 21 days. Sign up there. Make it a point in your schedule every single day to spend time with Jesus, to circle the things in prayer that you have, and watch him show up in a huge way. If you're here at our Goshen campus, we have post-it notes. We've been placing them out on the walls at our church. We have ways that you can do that at our other campuses. If you're watching online, go to crossroads.online slash prayer. Write down a prayer request, but these are the things that God wants us to boldly bring to him. Write down what God wants you to persistently come to him with prayer. Slap it on a wall. Continually circle and pray about those things every single day and watch God show up. God doesn't care about the magic words that you use. God just cares about you. And he wants you to spend time with him every single day. I ask you guys to stand with me because our posture matters in the way that we pray to God, right? So if you guys are willing, why don't we just take our hands, palms up to the sky. Because we've all come in here with things that we're dealing with. We all have that loved one that we care about. We all have that hurt, that difficulty that we're going through. And God wants us to hold them like this, not like this. God wants us to hold them open-handed so that he can do with them whatever he wants to do. So let's pray together and let's surrender the things that God wants to do incredible things with to him. Jesus, we believe that you are way bigger than any single thing that we've got going on in our lives. And we believe that you want to have every single part of who we are. So Jesus, in this posture, this attitude of surrender to you, we offer the things that we're coming into this place with in a posture of what if. What if I gave these things to you? What could you do with them? And we're boldly going before you, acknowledging that you already have the victory over all of these things. So Jesus, we pray that through our persistence, you show up in a huge way in our lives, in our hurts, in our difficulties, in our relationships, and that you do something that only you can do. Amen.